imagine, like, if you're talking about nitrogen, well, you can't go cold turkey on nitrogen. You've got to earn the right to use less. Yeah. So you've got to yeah. put a few things in place first, like, yeah. yeah, like your cover crops and that, and then you can pull back, and then when you're confident, then you can do a little bit more. Yeah, because you're improving that nutrient cycling capacity of the paddock to actually cycle nitrogen yeah. efficiently and effectively, which is Yeah, much I think better. if you, yeah, you concentrate on, you know, getting your trace elements lined up and your yeah. pH and yeah. soil biology happening yeah. and then yeah. yeah then you can slowly yeah. pull back. Yeah. The Biological Farming Roundtable podcast helps farmers explore innovative, low input, regenerative and profitable farming systems. The Biological Farming Roundtable is sponsored by Nutrisoil, an award-winning biological liquid fertiliser made from a big worm farm. Nutrisoil's purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food. My name is Nicola Maddock. I work at Nutrisoil. I envisage a future where farmers are rewarded for producing nutrient-rich foods and consumers have this easily available to them. Hello everyone, Nicola here from Nutrisoil. I'm here in the wet tropics in Queensland. I have David Hardwick from Soilland Food with me and we are here with Ray Zamora who is from Tully in the wet tropics in Queensland. Tully is known as the wettest town in Australia and Ray farms, uh, he's a cane farmer in the area, four metres of rainfall annually a year. Uh, welcome to the podcast everyone. Oh thanks for having us Nicole. Yeah thanks. Uh, today there's a few things we wanted to talk about. Firstly um, the history of the cane industry. So um, there's been a big concentration on the industry for a number of years now uh, and there's been steps through that. So we'll talk about that. But I also want to talk about um, the reason we're here and it's the Regenerative Cane Farming Forum. Um, it's our th the third year running the forum. So we'll talk about that. And uh, also your reason, Ray, as to why you thought that soil health was important and what made you start so it's all about uh, money wasn't it right you're, you're a millionaire <laughs> all about the money yeah <laughs> lots to talk about but look let's just start about the industry first why why did the cane industry start become to become so focused on um back in the 90s there was a sugar yield decline joint venture with the government and sra so pretty much they identified that yields were declining across the industry nationally yeah. and they wanted to work out why. Um, yeah, after that uh, joint venture there, the, the biggest constraints were soil compaction, uh, soil pathogens, soilborne diseases, yeah, and uh, carbon. And lack so, of carbon in our soils. Yeah, so it was pretty much a national project looking at why yields of cane across all different soil types, all different climate zones was declining. And, the farming system had led to these three major soil constraints. Yeah, so the industry knew it had to do something different. Um, they came up with best practices, I guess, Ray, would be the way you'd describe yeah. it. Yeah, and a lot of the practices were, uh, in the old days, you know, like they used to plant their legume crops all the time because Back in they the, knew. Before the 80s and deregulation. Yeah, yeah before, yeah, before uh, that last generation, they, they knew that they had to grow a fallow crop and possibly even two years was better and yeah and we sort of forgot all about that yeah. for a while and I guess there was a push for production just concentrated on putting out fertilizer yeah so the industry saw these declining yields the issue with soil carbon fungal disease what was the next step um well the next step was control of traffic it was uh, just getting a bit of traction and yeah a lot of growers moved to Slightly wider row spacings. Control of traffic so it's not compaction over the whole paddock all the time. But it was a slow change. Yeah, it? It yeah, a very slow transition and um, and planting soybeans and stuff in the fallows on beds and uh, ground shawls in the burdock and with the, the cutting edge of all that uh, technology at the time. I guess the challenge, Nicola, with cane is it's a monoculture crop. And even from the early days of the industry, and the, you know, late the early last century you know the guys knew they needed to have a rotation and often legumes were part of that rotation but kind of got lost somewhere in that late 20th century push for production so yeah there was this recommendation to bring back some diversity even if it's just one legume crop in the five or six year cycle of cane being a monoculture generally is a perennial grass so 
probably we need to explain how cane is grown, like it is a perennial grass. How long is it a perennial grass for and what's your opportunities to put in these um, cover crops? Yeah, well cane, uh, we cut it every year, it keeps returning. Um, the sort of industry standard is four returns and then a fallow. Um, got a block now, it's going to go 17th return this year. 17? Yeah. 17 so, years. So it's been a long time since it's had a fallow crop in it, yeah. What was your reason for keeping it so long? Um, yeah, it was a, a, a good block on a high bit of the farm that didn't get affected by water as such. Um, How's it yielding? It yielded 115 to the hectare last year. So yeah, that's all right. But uh, the grass is starting to get a bit of a grip on it. Yeah. And I've been threatening for about five years to knock it Turn out. It out yeah. But it just keeps pumping. Makes um, money. We yeah. cut it in the wet. We give it a hard time and it just keeps coming back. So, uh, like the program for it this year, I'd like to, I'll cut it early and knock it out and uh, I've got to rip the whole paddock up and change the, the um, rows and whatnot. So it'll get, uh, there's a mill byproduct on it and uh, a mixed species cover crop and hopefully rejuvenate it and then it'll be good for another 17 years. Another 17, but the industry average is four to seven. Yeah. Generally, I mean the thing, it's a perennial grass, Nicola, so if you give it a chance to build a root system, it can come back year after year, you know, and give you a reasonable production. But the challenge the guys had was with the bigger machinery and the more intense farming from the 90s, 80s and 90s, was they started to get this severe compaction. So the cane ran out of puff because it doesn't have the root reserves to come back each mm. year. That's the big challenge. So within a couple of years it's just not giving you any production it's uneconomic so you have to turn it in but you kind of get caught on that cycle really because if you're doing more yeah. intensive paddock work every few years you're yeah. compounding your problems yeah and like our plant cane is our biggest crop first return is not far behind the plant cane when you can see it quickly drop off in the next few returns if uh, you haven't got things in order i imagine in four metre rainfall you would have been one of the first to take up controlled traffic did, did you jump onto it pretty early and was, yeah. it, was it farmer driven like was there any help or people really needed to invest quite large amounts to change their system uh, we didn't invest too much uh, we had to change all our implements you know widen them out a little bit and whatnot and uh, the government helped by um, getting contractors um, grants to get GPS on their planting gear so we paid the contractors to to set our farms up originally. Um, later on down the track we put our own gear of course, but uh, initially yeah it was just uh, the contractors, they, they were the only ones viable enough to yeah, buy this gear. Have the gear, yeah. yeah. So that, that was this big first step was dealing with compaction and controlled traffic was pretty clear. Other industries had already been doing it yeah, and yeah. stuff so they, you kind of knew, you guys knew yeah. that's a big it's step. For us it was a no-brainer yeah. when you draw it out on the cement in the shed. Yeah, and see where your tyres are running. Yeah, were running and where they're gonna run. And yeah, it's just like well, yeah. this is. Yeah, my my dad used to always tell me where well, you run the risk of growing more cane. Yeah, you got less compaction. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah. In the traditional um, narrow rows, I don't know, must be close to eighty percent compaction. Yeah. So for for your old man, what was the risk of growing more cane if you're under a allocated system? Was it a problem to have too much cane or nah. come back to nah. bite you? Yeah. Nah. Nah. nah, no, it was all good, more. Yeah, more was better. More, yeah, more yeah. tons per hectare, yeah. the better. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, like, that compaction side of things was becoming pretty clear and you guys were trying to tackle that. And then you were sort of, I guess, thinking more about your soil and you had a bit of an epiphany at one point to sort of go beyond the compaction part of the story. Mm. What, what happened? Yeah, well, we had to go look after the compaction first because remembering that we're in a four metre rainfall area and you know we get a fair bit of that in the wet season but we can get a fair bit in the harvest season mm. and we have got uh, flotation harvesting equipment you know tract harvesters and big buggy big you know haul outs with big flotation tyres and we have to push on in the wet in not so beautiful conditions sometimes yeah. so you're saying flotation tyres because it's so wet like yeah 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 wow. not as to float in water <laughs> i'm just trying just to get my head around to float this. on the <laughs> in, in, so in, the, in the mud <laughs> okay um yeah and right from, from the tire shop you know the mud terrain fellas yeah, okay yeah, okay like yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh tully's always been a leader in harvesting equipment because of that reason and we're not 
uh, not scared to have a go in the wet because we know that uh, the consequences of cutting later into the season are worse than cutting it early and yeah so we'll have a go in Tully. Yeah. So yeah I probably yeah that was probably where I we started off there and then uh, then it's my turn to step up and run the family farm so um, started off I thought I knew a fair bit I'd worked on cane farms all my life at Bingdag College and but oh this is easy yeah. and then one day I'm there spraying along doing a brain dead job that it is and I thought started thinking about the soil for some reason I thought I don't know anything about this soil really I know they tell me to put this fertilizer on and whatnot and I thought oh you put this seed in the ground and that's great that plant grows and another seed and I thought how's it do all this so I went home and I looked up Mr. Gurgle back in the day and uh, topped in soil health and all this wonderful knowledge came at me and I just like was unbelievable. Like a light bulb went off in my head all right. Whole new world opened up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's more than just the physics of the soil, the structure and things. There's this other dimension, this biological dimension to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I went and you know, talked to our uh, local industry about it and they really didn't want to know about it at that stage. Yeah. But the industry, the cane industry knew a lot about soil biology from all that research around the, the yield decline because mm. they'd explored soil borne diseases and they kind of knew there was beneficials and baddies in there. So they'd actually done quite a lot of work on it really in a way. Yeah. But it wasn't they the practical knowledge or mm, focus was Yeah, they sort of weren't promoting it at yeah. all. They just sort of said, oh, don't worry about that stuff too much. Yeah. Just, yeah, keep Even though we know soil-borne diseases are a key constraint, yeah, yeah but you you were determined to learn more. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, from there, be on Google and yeah, once you start listening to Dr. Elaine Ingham and Gabe Brown and the likes, it's just absolutely mind-blowing. I don't know if anyone will ever know all there is to know about the sport. But it's just a but interesting. You're a cane farmer, but you're still you know, listening to a, a cropping farmer or, uh, you know, someone that d works, that is in the States, like it's just... Well, we're all working with soil. Yeah. It's all the same. Sand, silk and clay. Yeah. Different, and organic. Different. And yeah, organic. Yeah. 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 Different percentages in different parts of the world, but it's basically the same. Yeah. Yeah. And before we were saying that the diehard biological farmers, they were, they were limited to books and books are wonderful and there's these big bookshelves of biological farming but now the YouTube uh, has just opened it up and we can learn so much more on the internet so it's done a really good yeah, thing for regenerative yeah, yeah. 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 Thanks for the plug and podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, the way we all learn is yeah. I was just reading the book on humans learning and when people get joined up thinking it's cool where people learn collectively it speeds up learning and they're saying they're arguing now that or this author's arguing now that the speed of evolution of human culture is faster than our genetics because of the, the like network. it's overtaken the, the biological constraint of us into this cultural, mm -hmm. so it's actually, and it's only been in the last decade or so because of this, just the speed of collective learning is out, out jumping our genes basically, yeah. so yeah. So it's not just our community, we can learn from people all over yeah, the world bring so it quickly. In, adapt yeah. it to the local, yeah, so obviously Ray, you had to sort of bring back some of those ideas and try and make them fit to your place. Yeah, yep. And I don't know, you had to be careful who you spoke to, uh, as in local farmers or farmers in different districts about biological farming because some of them will look at you sideways and think you had two heads and others will embrace you and want to talk about it. Yeah, Ray's gone hippie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ray's gone hippie. But, uh, yeah, and then I found out there was a hell of a lot of growers that were same like-minded as me thinking outside the square and yeah so everyone's had a yeah a light bulb hello sorry we were just interrupted by a python that came from the cane field so we're we've got alan now here who's sorted it out for us and uh, we're going to resume our podcast again i may be shaking a little but it should be okay um Alan, we were just talking about the whole cane industry and uh, Ray was telling us about the decline uh, in soil health and the things that had happened and we're talking now about the steps from it. Um, Ray had a light bulb moment, the importance of soil health um, and got on YouTube and found all of the amazing information and then he started connecting with people and I imagine he connected with you. Yeah, eventually. It took a while. Took a while, yeah. And 
Um, how do I put it? Networking is probably one of the key key drivers of soil health because you don't really know what you don't know. So when you go when you first start on the journey, you think you know a lot, and gradually it dawns on you you know very little. And then when as you network with people, it's a change of ideas, change of uh, people have tried different things and. One of the things I have, the more I've done, is notice we're a niche environment. From Ingham to Mossman is a, a very niche climate. Nowhere else in Australia has that climate. It's a very narrow uh, coastline, and what works somewhere else doesn't work here, and vice versa, because of our rainfall, humidity. I guess, Alan, on that point, you get even though it's the wet tropics, that's very unique from that point of view. And farming, cane farming is a unique farming system too. You know, it's got its industry challenges. But then I guess the third thing is just that seasonal changes in the wetter and drier things. Each year you get that rainfall variability, which throws the whole span in the works too. That'd be an extra load on top of that. Mm. In terms of, especially like Ray talking about it a little bit earlier today about making decisions and timing of harvest affecting your soil health and crop preparation and cover crop strategies that all gets affected. Yep. But when the rain falls, how much falls, all those things come in. So the communication, the networking, getting together, uh, how long did that happen before the first Regen Cane Farming Forum came about? Well, we probably started to network a bit with Project Catalyst L, which is a project we're involved with with the, the government, uh, WWF and Coca-Cola sponsor it too. Yeah. Mop. yeah. For me, probably um, the first networking come when I did uh, Digging Deeper with David. I, I don't know how long ago was that, Dave? 2015, I reckon. You went through that second year. Yes, uh, yeah. that's eight years ago. And you did it together? Yeah. No, no, no Ray separate. Done it. He didn't do it, but yeah. There was already a network of the guys like Ray, because you guys had been making bifurts for a bit. You yeah. Know? yeah. So there's a few guys that were doing a few things and then a few guys went through the soil program. And there's there's and nothing growers like more than talking to other growers. And being they, on... They trust other growers because it's, they're talking dollars. Like, they're not going to do it if it's going to burn them. Yeah. So and I love talking to growers. Being on farm, someone's farm, and being open what's happening in, and seeing what's actually happening in the soil, and I think a soil pit opened my eyes, like everyone should do a soil dig because it's not how you think it is when you dig down. It's, and every, everyone's different. Every, on every farm, there might, if you dig 10 soil pits, that can be all different, completely different in, in the tropics anyway. So you've developed this community. You've got, you know, chill, uh, controlled traffic happening which is a really important first step yeah with, without roots and air you know it's hard to do anything else really mm. it was really the big turnaround that controlled traffic to start with and then we're talking about biology so you recognize that biology balanced biology is going to be one of the drivers for you know working on the pathogens that they found what support did you get there with the biology well support from industry was zilch I suppose yeah they're right um, yeah, just uh, probably from terrain. Started off uh, doing some some work with uh, um, Kim Cruz, making bioferts and stuff. Terrain introduced me to that, and that opened my eyes up a bit more again. So you guys started, you and a few other the guys like Mario passed away and stuff. You guys started to make some biofertilizers, fermented biofertilizers. Yeah, so trying to add biology back into the system. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're probably flying a little bit blind as far as in the cane. You know, we didn't mm. know a lot about uh, yeah. what we were doing, but it, all the stars lined up, so we thought it sounds good. Give it a crack, yeah. And, uh, and it wasn't too expensive. No, yeah, no. And we could do it ourselves. Mm. Um, yeah, and that worked well. And then, yeah, then we, you know, mixed species cover crops come along, and it's another whole new world yeah. again, and everything complements itself yeah yeah so i guess there was a couple of pioneers if you like that were testing the water with that biodiversity cropping um, diversity cropping you had lawrence the bella up here in the area and solomon mattson obviously at mackay was 
done his done his Nuffield scholarship and he and that kind of gave you guys a bit of a window and a new thing to try. Yep, and there's that much more to go. We don't know. Well, that's so true because like many like I don't know how many years ago we would say, but you would not know it was a modest species. It just wasn't in our heads. We hadn't even thought of it. Where now it's quite common practice with many people and it's growing and growing. So what's next? There'll be something we haven't thought of right there. Yeah, yeah, there's something right around the corner. Um, well, I'm offering well, naked at night. For you. <laughs> no one's taken it up, David. No, so I want to come back to the diversity cropping a bit. Like, do you remember the first multi species paddock you planted, Lay? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I did. I had a go for a long time ago now, probably yeah. 12, 13 years ago. I did uh, just uh, Sorghum Sudan and Cowpeas. Yeah. And I just slashed it down three times. Yeah. And it kept coming back. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I planted the cane there, I was, Gee, that cane grew bloody nice. Yeah. Right. Right. So that was just a two way mix. Yeah. That you slashed down a couple of times. Yeah. And you saw that immediate yeah. and some agronomic benefit. Yeah. Following crop. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I was still like working the ground fairly conventional then. Yeah. And it still showed a good response. Yeah. How about you, Alan? What oh, well, you one, one of the big hurdles for me was. There were strategies out there and ideas, but we didn't have the capacity or the machinery uh, to implement them because of our trash blanket and massive trash blanket. Mm, we couldn't to harvest. Yeah, a lot of trash on the paddock. A lot of trash, like three or four times what anyone else would have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, can you show me a? Oh, when you first cut it, it can right. be 150 mil thick. <laughs> okay. Um, of very, very high carbon you, mix. Yeah, you have to manage that and a strategy where you can incorporate and plant a, a, a crop reasonably quick and cheaply because because it's just a mix you're going to put back into the soil for soil health. You want to do it the best possible price. It's still, you have to be economical when you're doing it. You can't just throw money at something. The strategies to do that and... Uh, um, Machinery to do it wasn't really there, and I, that was a problem for me. That was we were still trying to do conventional, trying so to you guys bring the new world. You guys in. had to cook some new machinery, up, yes, basically, which is the bed renovator. Which if yeah. you haven't seen the bed renovator, then they're for sale on the yeah. website now. But it's taken off across the region, really. Yeah, which Alan developed mostly. Yeah, Alan, you necessities of other invention. And yeah, well, it was a problem, and he found the answer. But it didn't come in one year, like it yeah. was developed over probably five or six years but or it's, more. It's, a, it's what you might call it a, a gentle soil renovation, like gentle tillage, yeah. basically. Yeah. It keeps it helps keep your aggregation. It's softer cultivation. Yeah. yeah. I'd class it as. Yeah. So you can sow in. Yes, so you can sow in. Yeah. And we, sugar industry, we have a major compaction problem. And we all know in soil health, number one enemy is compaction. You can't get the other balance right without dealing with it. And that was an issue. How do you go in and uh, get sort of break the hard pan and assist the plants to break up the compaction? Uh, yeah. That was that was one of the issues. Because the plants will do a lot of the work for you, but you do have to give them a, a helping hand. Yeah, it's yeah. Controlled, sensible tillage. Yes. Controlled, yeah. sensible tillage, CST. <laughs> Put that on the caps. <laughs> And one of the things I had trouble initially always thought, oh, once you put a ripper through something, it broke a compaction. Well, it, it's only breaking the hard pan, and then your plants come along, and your biology is actually what breaks compaction. Or what creates good aggregation. Yes, yeah, correct. Uh, which is that second part of structure. Like one part's a hard pan, the second part is good aggregation. Yeah. So the renovators used just before you sow? Uh, yes, and at the end of the season to uh, help terminate the crop and get rid of compaction, and then just before you plant, you renovate. Sugarcane is a very hard crop to kill. Um, yes. It's hard to grow at times, but it's very hard to kill too. Perennial grass, mm. yeah. Tropical grass. you have a, a crimper rollout with disc cedar behind it. Did you make that, or how did, how did that... Tell me about that. Yeah, I just copied the... Uh, Crimper roller off the internet, of course. Copyright. And uh, yeah, I've done some direct drilling straight into cover crops, and I've had mixed results. Sometimes I've had, well, I have had a complete failure, 
but I've had really good results and mediocre results. It's always, it always comes away very slowly as compared to a conventional drill plant. And uh, so that's direct drilling into a crimped bubble. Yeah, and even it takes a bit of time. Double disc gardening yeah. in sugarcane tends to be a lot slower. Yeah, but in the, in the end it makes it. Yeah, it, I don't know, it catches up. Yeah. Um, long as you don't. Severe weather is a problem mm. when it's slow to establish. Yeah. yeah. If it sets it back for the rest of the cycle, yeah. you can be in trouble. Or vice versa, though, if you get a ordinary time towards the end of the season, it might still be puffing along, mm. come through that. So I guess really the challenge you guys have had here implementing sort of more soil health friendly practices and making money at the same time is is you have to pull together a number of different sort of changes and make it all work in a package deal really isn't it and that's been the challenge with all the external climate and industry issues as well but do you think you, you're at the point now you, you guys have been on this sort of journey a bit more regenerative approach for a few years now it's still profitable for you you're still not compromising yield and and or profit Ray what's your thoughts on that no. still got to feed the family. No, our, our uh, well, profits are a bit variable at times in the sugar industry, but um, yeah, yeah, at the moment, we've uh, had a good year last year um, and uh, definitely no reduction in yield. Yeah. Um, but definitely an improvement in soil structure is, you know, yeah, mean the yeah. colour of being your paddock. And, and like if you're talking about nitrogen, well, you can't go cold turkey on nitrogen. You've got to earn the right to use less. Yeah. So you've got to. Yeah. Put a few things in place first, like yeah. yeah, like your cover crops and that, and then you can pull back. And then when you're confident, then you can do a little bit more. Yeah, because you're improving that nutrient cycling capacity of the paddock to actually cycle the nitrogen yeah. efficiently and effectively. Which is yeah, I think if you yeah, and you concentrate on you know getting your trace elements lined up and your yeah. pH and yeah. soil biology happening, yeah. and then yeah. yeah, then you can slowly yeah. pull back. Yeah, I don't know in the in the sugar industry, I don't think we can ever pull back to um, yeah. Super low rates. Super low rates. Yeah. But uh, if we could pull back to, you know, if we could use 80 kilos, 60, 80, and... Uh, compared to... Compared your, to... Your, your rainfall zone. Yeah, 120, 140 yeah. units yeah. is sort of industry standard practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, and, and maintain yields. That's, that's crucial to maintain yeah. yields. Yeah. If we don't supply enough cane to make the mill viable, well, and this is viable. this is such We're a big part of cane, isn't it? Like, yeah, you can go regen, and and you can do a lower input, lower output model, which a lot of farm business systems do outside of cane. But if you go too low output, the mill could be unviable, which means all the jobs in the region will go. A lot of the jobs, yeah. So it's it's all connected to the processing side to it too. That's right. Yeah, yeah. we're uh, we're all in it together. Yeah. So that does make it challenging, you know, because you do get grazing systems that they will go lower output, lower input, lower. They're quite profitable. Because no. they have the yeah. ultimately it's the gross margin that we're after. Yeah. But um, yeah, and you know, I think you probably could get the same gross margin with very low input across, and yeah, you know, very average yields. But you'd be chucking the cane and the collie. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah. yeah. So what, what are those complications? Just to clarify, if you were in that system low input lower yield you're talking about an issue with the mill what's the issue well well you got to, the first issue is with the harvesters um they don't want to cut low yielding cane because they get paid on per ton and we pay for the fuel for the harvesters so we're, we're going to have to pay a little bit more for fuel the contractor's going to want more money um per ton to harvest the cane and you so have might... to compensate that well, yes, and yeah, and in Ingham, the harvester might just say, "Look, we're not going to do that block. It's not mm. worth it for yeah. us." But yeah. there's blocks because uh, in the Herbert last year we had a very bad year with a late finish, and there's some a lot of very low yielding blocks that I don't think will be harvested. Like the harvest contract says, "We're not, we won't cut it." That's it, um, straight across the board. So those blocks. That farmer will have to make a decision. He's in vet, he's fertilised it because of the weather conditions. Most of that fertiliser's gone somewhere up in the air or through the soil or it's gone. So he's got to make some hard decisions, but it was his decision to return that crop as it was. But the mill relies on throughput 
once they don't get a uh, certain level of throughput, they become unviable. And as soon as they're unviable, it affects and close. You never get them back again. I've never seen a, a mill restart once it's shut down. Has there been many mills shut down? And yes, been over the years, yes. yes. It's been a trend almost everywhere. 40 yep. years, yep. mills have shut. The local mills and you get more regionally sold. Like yes. the dairy industry, remember when it was deregulated? Yeah. Yeah. Consolidation of the factories and the smaller factories all yeah. disappeared, yeah. same and, sort of thing. And if the mills are getting less throughput, well, they're not going to reinvest in their mills, so their reliability comes a horrible problem, especially yeah. when the, the sun's out and we can't harvest, the mill's broken down. Maintenance. Yeah, because there was a lack of there is a lot of stuff happens inside a sugar mill, yeah. and if the maintenance is not kept up to speed, it'll uh, break your heart. Who owns the mills? Um, well, Tully uh, Kofka owns it, which is the Chinese government. Herbert uh, Wilmer is a Singaporean-based company. Mackay's hard owned by the growers, and a lot of the mills used to be grow Some of them used to be grower owned, but mainly now they're third party. Yeah. Sugar industry around the world, it's a big international industry, yeah. Did that happen in your time, the internationals? Yeah. 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 How did you feel about that? I wasn't too happy at all. But see, they, they guys don't get paid a premium for regen sugar, no. even though it gives you less diabetes risk. I'm just kidding. Just, <laughs> but, but they're not getting paid a premium for it. I mean, they're doing it, you know, one, they want to balance between the environment and production, but two, they get the agronomic benefits, I guess. And, what one of the things that I think we all miss out of uh, this is, for me, as I've gone down the road of uh, regen, um, less working, uh, better soil conditions, better soil health, I've ended up with less work and a better lifestyle, with the same income and so improved income. And, and I think as as farmers. We have to look at our own hours and we have to look at our lifestyle. If we can, as farmers, improve our lifestyle and mental health, that's got to be a win-win. And you can't put a price on that. You can't put a price on it. It's very hard to value. Are you saying you're enjoying going farming, Helen? Oh, I, I do, yes, I do. I'm probably getting to the end of my age. Yeah. I'm at the long end of the stick. But, <laughs> but the friends you've made. Yeah. True. And, oh. and stimulating. And um, the networking and the brainstorming that happens, especially after we've had a couple of beers, it can, it can be dangerous. Which we have from tonight until Friday. But we're not at the we're not at Cairns, so you can't go to the casino. Yeah. This time. I tell my husband that's what we do when I go away. So I guess yeah. So I guess these there's these broader issues like seasonal timing of rain that and the industry challenges of supply of cane and processing of cane and contractors, how many are around, are they, they shrinking and all that. There's all these other forces that are influencing your soil health decisions and the region and changing one, the farms. One of the things I see for a problem for us is uh, soon as everyone talks multi-species, they jump on the internet and they there's a million temperate varieties out there that you can plant. I actually think we're looking in the wrong place in North Queensland. We should be looking at Asia or more of the tropics for our species. Um, I think that is a problem, but we probably need investment to bring that across because the more of those we can bring across, the better our mixes will get and the better our outcome will get. So you can't get them into Australia? We don't even know what they are yet. There's, a few, there's some legumes and things that the guys are using, but a lot of the time they're using the like sunflowers and things, which are not, they're not tropical no. species. And, they like they don't mind the heat, but the humidity, humidity is what towers them all up. So, you know, when the guys first started trialling it, well, Simon down in Mackay, also he tried to do sunflowers back in 2013 or something. They wouldn't even sell him the seed from Toowoomba. They said, "You can't grow them up there. We don't want to sell you the seed." But it's it's trying to get some like some climate of appropriate species. So obviously Lawrence and some of the suppliers are looking into it, but there's not a lot of yeah, it's a trial and error yeah, yeah. thing, and yeah. and that's this whole whole regen in the sugar industry. It's no silver bullet. It's work in progress, and I think it, there's no developed package. It's you, you have to work through it to what suits you, and I think it'll just grow in time and get better and better. Because it's a new farming system. 
Correct. You guys are developing a new farm system for the 21st century. Yeah. You know, but I guess it takes time and they need, you know, you need support. Well, you're supporting each other. And, but yeah, seeds is, seed mixes is the key part of it. I mean, the seed industry itself's growing so rapidly. Can they, can they supply the farmers? That's, that's the, one of the choke points. As you know, around Australia, everyone's trying multi-species. Well, the seed companies are catching up. Yeah. So, and tropical seeds, well, it's not many people think, focusing yeah. on that. Also, uh, season length. As a big factor of our soil health. Um, once we go to Christmas and we get an early wet season, you can't get on those paddocks to get any mixed species cover crops or any any cover crops. So then we have to rely on herbicides to uh, terminate the cane. So we spray that in January. And then we might come back in March, April, another spray. And then we get the ground ready and plant it. So it hasn't had much of a break or any description so therefore you're looking at less yeah um, yield because the, the ground is just not rejuvenated and that's related to the system of harvest as yeah. well yeah because you get a late harvest because there's how many harvested there was there and how many is there now there's been a big decline hasn't there yeah. alan we're in the herbert you should know the figures i don't know exactly i think, I think they're back to about 55 yeah. or 50 mm. harvesters where they be 10 years ago there would have been 100 why? Ah, profitability. They need throughput. Uh, like the machine, 10 years ago, you'd pay $500,000. Now, harvest would be up around 1.1 million, 1.2 million. Uh, a haul out, um, I couldn't tell you the exact price, but you'd, you'd be looking 400 for each. Average contract's got at least three. So it's very expensive to stay in the game. And it's not something someone walks in off the street and starts up where years ago they could. So now they just don't seem to be able to finance it. And I guess the other thing is you might have areas, cane, cane growing areas that are underutilised because people might be working off farm or working at the mines or some, they don't have as much of their property under high production cane yeah. anymore. Mm -hmm. Like around Mackay's. Yeah, there's a lot of it. probably be some of that up here. Yeah. Yeah, and so that means that the harvest has got less high production blocks to do in mm. a year, which means that we're going to get less cash flow to pay the bank three million bucks mm. to set up. Yeah, if we don't if we don't grow the cane through the mill, and the mill becomes a bit short on money, so they'll reinvest in the mill then and keep their maintenance up. So therefore, the seasonal length goes out further. So therefore, the big cost is soil health because we can't get our cover crops in. Yep, and in the wet tropics we can't really successfully grow any other crop and be guaranteed to harvest it and get a return off it. It's, there's been a few ventures here and there. Um, Unless and we're like tree crops, but they need better drainage than the low. Yeah, the low yeah. but something like in our fallow, yeah. it would be lovely. We could plant a two-year crop yeah. and, and um, get some sort of a cash crop in there and, and get a little return. Yeah. But there's nothing that successfully you can go year in, year out, and you know you're going to harvest. So, yeah, uh, yeah most of the time growers go straight back into cane with the, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a well degraded soil, really. So really, you guys are making big efforts to change your farming system to be, to look after the environment and also feed the world, you know, you're, you're tackling this challenge. And at the same time, everyone else, the rest of Australian society is expecting you to be a good environmental steward um, and the government's hitting you with some regulations too or some legislation which no other industry's got so let's maybe just chat about that for a minute so you guys are now legislated on your nitrogen and phosphorus fertiliser decisions and audited and audited on it and that's yeah, because that's... the concerns of you living next to the barrier reef and everyone wants you to be environmentally friendly in your farming but that that also creates less flexibility sometimes in in saying what you just said, that's a unique position and that that legislation's on us, but we can we have to compete in a world market. We don't compete in our local domestic market. It's a it's a world market. So we sold, bought and sold at world price. Uh, so that makes it hard for us because we're not uh, trading on an even field, which it's um Economically, it's very hard to stay in that ballgame. Has there been a decline 
in soils of the new worldwide industry? Um, I couldn't really say. Yeah. I mean, the general trend is as you get bigger machinery and more and more stuff, you tend to knock the soil. Yeah. yeah, I would say so. I've heard like in Brazil, they just run over the whole paddock when they're harvesting it and hopefully they'll never work out what's going on. And Brazil, a lot of the country... one advantage we have got to have room. Brazil, a lot of the country is relatively new in farming, so I think that helps them a little bit. At better soils, probably. Yeah, so the guys that you guys have got these regulations on you which prescribe particularly for those two nutrients, phosphorus and nitrogen, how you make your decisions. So with it, it was a long time developing those laws, and it's always hard, it's always problematic when you just give everyone a blanket legislation from Mossman to the Queensland border for cane because they're all different soils and different climates, but. Basically, you guys have been lowering your fertiliser use anyway or trying to make it more efficient. Um, so you're under those regs. Do you guys stress about them too much or are they something that you're aware of them but you're, you're sort of saying well under them? Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, underneath the regulations. Um, I don't think it was the right approach by the government. I think they would have been better off um, doing more trials and explaining capacity and teaching growers yeah, rather than, rather than yeah. regulation or a big stick yeah. um, approach. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and Alan will be the same as me. Yeah. No troubles. Oh, I have no been... troubles staying under that. Yeah. yeah. But you have to work at it. It's not just a... Uh, yeah. But uh, you have to be confident to make some big decisions. Correct. And that's building your own ability to do that. You know, build that yeah. So yeah. learning in different ways. Yeah. But have the well, more information you have to make to make a decision makes it yeah. decision making a lot easier. Yeah. So if you go in armed with information, it's a lot easier to uh, head in the right direction. That's yeah. the right, yeah. right thing. And I guess having the peer support that the, the Regen Kane network has help support each other through I, the decision. I do get frustrated with. I, I can only talk about cane farmers. They don't tend to value information, uh, learning or paying to learn enough. I, I don't think as farmers we value that, where other organisations tend to value that further learning, where farmers don't seem to. Yeah, It's a, a struggle. Is it because they're too busy to get there or what, what do you think is behind that? Good question. A good question. I can't <laughs> answer it. Yeah, some will just bloody stop them. <laughs> I don't want to change. I think that with uh, forced legislation, which we're under, people have got their back up because the government's coming with a big stick. And that, if anything, has slowed some transition because people, when yeah. they're ordered they have to do this now, they've got their back up. Yeah, yeah the first stage of anyone learning anything in life, Nicole, is have been engaged in the topic. But the key thing is positively engaged. Yeah. If I'm if I'm open to learning, if I'm positive about mm. the topic, I'll open my arms up and start learning. But if I could be engaged and as angry as hell, I'm not going to learn anything at that point. Yeah. So that's the challenge that regulation, when it's done poorly, yes. yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you don't do it with capacity, you know, like you always have some regs in life. But I guess yeah, this is the big challenge, isn't it? You guys are the is it the first cane industry in the world, really, where you know nutrient management's regulated. Obviously mm. in Europe they've got similar things for other industries, but, but it's a, it's it's also another challenge in going down the soil health mm. What one of the game changes for me was control traffic and mounding. For some reason in the tropics, mounding the soil really loves it. It, it even if you can't can't get a multi species crop in that soil just seems to have more biology because it's not getting anaerobic during the wet season. That's the only thing I can put it down to. Uh, because there is a lot of carbon put back into the soil. It, too much actually, probably. Not enough carbon to nitrogen ratio. Um, when you're following, and it, it just seems to be alive that in that mound where you walk away from it and there's no light. I saw something similar in Tasmania in their pastures they mounded up because 
it's just too wet. Yep. So you're going to get anaerobic in those. Yes, well, we get anaerobic in the wet season. In our summer months when we're trying to grow fallow crops. And before, our fallow crops wouldn't get, grow in uh, that time of the year. Now we have no trouble growing them. But it, it's the mound seems to be the secret and yeah, control yeah. traffic is yeah. the... Soils, yeah. topsoils need air and yes. for everything yep. else to go. Air, water and plant roots. Are and they're not anaerobic, so they're... Yeah. So thinking about it, like with your the things you've gone through, you guys, over the last few years to change your soil, your soils and the farm systems over, what's the big first step, the first couple of steps you think people need to really tackle there, to turn soils around in the tropics to go down this regen path? What's the big... Well, definitely sort the row spacings out. Yeah, that's just to control that, that traffic. And that's a yeah. pretty simple yeah. thing to do. Yeah. It, it is a simple, but it's probably the biggest roadblock because we're on roughly a seven-year cycle, or well, I am. So it's seven years before a block gets replanted after it's returned all those years and has a fallow. So it's a long... The decision I make now, I don't finalise for seven years. You won't know how... So it's decisions. very, very long-term. You don't make these decisions lightly because you haven't got a few years in your lifetime. Like to do five five cycles is nearly a lifetime of farming. So basically. Yeah. before this, what was your crop cycle? Four returns? Or? Uh, probably four returns, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Four returns. So your soil health has meant that you can have more returns. Yeah. Which means you're more profitable. And more consistent. Yeah. 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 And that's where it all starts to kick in. And like I was saying earlier there, you know, like with our controlled traffic L, sometimes we're harvesting when we shouldn't be. Oh, correct. But, but we can, and then we need to get that special off. The wettest part of the um, So we're actually being detrimental to the paddock, but it's looked after us and, yeah. yeah. So it's, uh... But these are the big decisions. These first couple of decisions are the big ones, and they're, they're made, you have to make them in complexity. There's all this stuff going on, uncertainty of seasonal change in rainfall. But, and you won't know whether that decision was the right one for seven years, which is the challenge to right. make any decision. Did I do the right thing? And, and there is a phase in this whole thing is a phase one and a phase two. That first seven years in transition, you have to go and disc everything out, then remount it, rip that paddock up because the interspace is nothing lines up. So you have to start with a blank sheet. Yeah. So for seven years, you've got a lot of work ahead of you to achieve what you want. But when you go into the second phase, that's where it simplifies. You're starting to go back into all your control traffic that's been under control traffic for six or seven years. You've improved the soil. It, it, the soil structure's structure improved. Yeah. That's when the big advantages come. Mm. But that's seven years down the road. It's a long wait, seven years. How you know? long have you been doing it? Since 2009, I started, so what's that, 14 years? So you're starting to feel the lifestyle changes. That's oh, yeah, I've got, definitely got a lifestyle yeah. change. Yeah. Oh, I'm about to drag him off the fishing boat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in third reverse. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about the rec, um credits? Do you want to just touch Oh, well, on that I guess, David? yeah, this is the thing. The guys, well, as Alan's mentioned, you know, they're, they're in a world market that they have more environmental regs than other producers in other countries, I guess is a summary of it. Um, and so, yeah, there are obviously different ways the government tries to support cane farm or any farmers really. One of them is regulations, which sometimes Before. don't necessarily do the supporting that they need to. Um, but then you've also got things like the new market-based mechanisms, like create a product, an environmental product. And in the case of cane, they've got these reef credits, they call them so the guys can get paid to lower nitrogen use and that's that, that itself is a kind of environmental product you're reducing the potential emission so they're selling that to the you know the corporate commercial market to Pontus and other companies that want to offset their the carbon neutrality make themselves carbon neutral so yeah i guess there's an opportunity for some of them to get a bit of money in the door to help make some changes with that, but you know, we were having a chat, Ray. You know, there's obviously it's not all you know, skittles, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. Yeah, it's market based tools. Yeah, I've stayed away from any carbon um, exchange things or anything yeah. like that. Um, 
to, I, I just believe if I'm going to build the carbon, I'll put it in my soil and I'll get the advantage of it myself. I can't, uh, still can't get my head around that I can do a good job and get paid for it, and then someone gets a credit. And to me, then they're, they're just passing the buck. Well, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, it's problematic, I'll, uh, isn't it? A lot of this. Yeah, if I build my carbon, well, yeah, I'll. Uh, you're, you're I'll get paid for it. And you're making the big purchase. changes. Yeah, that everyone needs. Every, well, all, all of us need to make the big changes. It's, you know, my other business, as you guys know, I travel a lot. We're trying to make sure we do the right thing. But, mm. You know, it's how how you can we support farmers as well. For, but, yeah. for Ray and I, we don't qualify for ninety nine point nine nine percent of those things because we've been at it for too long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're way beyond. Below so the why don't we give you a bonus? Why don't they get a bonus for like employee of the month? You see at Woolies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Doesn't happen in this industry. Don't you give him like farmer of the year and you give him a bonus? For <laughs> doing it, so. and, and carbon credit trading, carbon credits. I'm very frightened of them. At the tropical north, it's very hard for us because everything cycles that hard because our rainfall, temperature, and humidity cycles that hard. It's very hard to make carbon. Consistently, well, the little bounce. Yes, yeah. and I also think that in the future, the government could legislate that we have to supply carbon credits to cover our own farming activity. That's what worries me. And once you sell those credits, very hard to get them back. Yeah, you'd have to buy credits on the market to make yourself carbon. Correct, credit. and you've lost thirty percent each but way. But you, because you manage your landscape, you have the opportunity to grow your own carbon credits for yourself, yes. and that's the risk. And, that and if I can go grow my kind of carbon, that's a win for that's a win-win for me anyway. Yeah, I see a complexity, and I'm not saying what's right or right or wrong with these roof credits. That if you're being paid to reduce uh, your Nitrogen and potential emission, yeah. You've well, you get potential emissions, yeah. yeah. And you get reduced yield that's going to go into the whole mix of the maintenance of the mill and the contract Correct. that's being Correct. available. It's but quite that, complex, isn't but, it? Yeah. That's why, that in doing that, they haven't taught that person what they have to do to keep their yield the same. There is a lot of capacity, a capacity that we invest in other things like. Um, your pH has to be on the ball. No aluminium. Yes, yeah. you got to keep your aluminium like at most tropical soils up here. We've got high aluminium, so, so we got low calcium. To put in perspective, Alan, you can have 40 50 percent aluminium. Cane will still grow. So, most depending on listening to yeah. this podcast from other parts of Australia, you know, 10 percent is usually high for a lot of yeah, yeah. Fine, you grow a crop. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, it's very cane is very tolerant, but you're still you've lost that margin of performance each time so you have to get all those ducks in a line before you, you can start really reducing but i guess, I guess Nicola, your point is that yeah so there's opportunities for these environmental products because that's really what you're doing the guys are growing and creating and selling it but if yeah if it risks yield reduction by doing that yeah you've got a bit of money from selling reduced nitrogen but if it's risk the production of cane in the long term for the mill well, that has these side effects so if you just do that as the only policy just create market products everywhere then that on its own is going to end up with all kinds of problems and you can see how that flows on to no maintenance of the mill longer yeah. season no yeah. soil health it's just a big so education and more. capacity building it's got to be the foundational strategy to help any community change over to so go and regenerate I'm flying Qantas on the way back. I'll have a talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so true, isn't it? That's the importance of these regenerative cane farming forums because we've, we've got to keep educating people. Oh, I hate to break it. Qantas, they're only shifting the buck by buying credits. I know. I know. And that's I don't think I'm not sure what I agree with. It's very complex. I like that big organisations that are making squillions of money are helping farmers. They're not, they, not, they not doing help. it out of choice. No, no, right, okay. But they need systems and practice change as well, absolutely. I've got a new podcast for you to listen to about the whole carbon market. It's worth having on this. Yeah. Get it to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so it's it. I guess going down the regenerative path, you guys, it's it opens a big can of worms in terms of management 
decisions, but has it been been rewarding? Has it been worth oh, the effort? Oh, and it's made farming that much more exciting again, yeah. rather than just doing this same old industry standard what Mr. Insatech tells you to do or yeah. whatever. Yeah. You're using your own brain and you're thinking and having trouble working something out. You yeah. get on the phone and ring Alan or yeah. someone yeah. else in the industry. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a... At a community level, it's more enjoyable yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Farming. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not just us as farmers learning. The agronomy staff's learning. Everyone, mm. the on-sellers are learning. Everyone's yeah. learning out. Extension guys like me. Like extension staff. Exactly. Yeah. Because we're on the same Even road. Even Kayla, she's still learning. I'm learning lots. That, that, in, <laughs> that information was still growing. We, yes. We're developing it as yeah. we're travelling. So everyone's in... That, collect, that collective knowledge is critical. Yes. And that's the only way that you guys in the cane industry are going to pull this off. It's not going to happen if a couple of you sort it out and no one else comes along. Mm. Unless the whole industry does it together, it's not yes. going to happen. Well, that, there are. It, 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 it's gradually changing. Like in this district, five years ago, few saw a multi-species crop. There are very few. Now, normally, this year, they've had a bat, uh, haven't planted much because of rain weather, but last year the district was covered in mulberries. Covered. I, yeah. I mentioned that when I was going up to Catalyst, there's you know multi-species crops all yeah. over the road. Yeah, yeah. I said, isn't this good to see? I said, I can remember about five or six years ago at Catalyst, I was up on stage and I said, watch this space. This is the next thing coming: multi-species cover crops. And yep. You drive around and yeah. And that, the wet tropics is going green and gold. So I went, I'd been coming up about eight years doing extension with you guys, and I'd never been to the Barrier Reef for a holiday. I've never even been out there, so I thought I'd better go out there because before it's gone, it's all fun. Yeah, it's all fun, <laughs> and it's all been funded by Barrier Reef money, so mm. you can't see what it is. What the hell. So I went out for the day, coming back from the snorkel excursion thing. It was still there. It was, it was still there. The beautiful <laughs> was, Yep. And there was a talk too from one of the young ladies, you know, about the environment and all that. Mm. And I said to her, so, and she, I said, what do you do outside of this gig? And she goes to Townsville a fair bit for work on water, some water thing. And she said, oh, I've noticed. I said, what do you do? I said, oh, I do a bit of stuff with cane farms. She said, oh, what's those yellow plants growing now? So she's been driving from Gans down to Townsville off and on. She said, notice more yellow flowers in the paddocks so you know that's someone who has no you know yeah really mm. deep understanding of cane she's just these cane fields yeah. but she noticed that there's more yellow being planted so yeah, yeah. there's this change happening and i think yeah, yeah we've got yeah. there's that much more work to do yeah i, I want to look seriously into intercropping yeah. to, to grow a bit of nitrogen in crop oh, but, i uh, see a cane crop and it's so thick so you're going to have to pull the spaces out tell me oh uh, well I'm, I'm on a dual road which is uh 1.9 meter centers and my rows are 500 apart so i'm hoping mm. between those two dual rows i'll be able to grow something in there there's a, there's a, a lot to nut it out there's a window of opportunity, Simon, an opportunity. Mm. but you know again it doesn't have to be right through to the end of the cane no. side no just, just a couple yeah. of months worth and yeah and then and there's a thing like um at the region there'll be one of the demonstrations be by dr danielle walker and Danielle do, does a lot of biomass sampling to try to work out what uh, fertiliser reductions we can have achieved without being detrimental to our crop. And that's something that they're still learning, like they're sampling um, sun hemp and what they thought was the nitrogen percentage. Now they're finding it a, a bit higher, you know, and just plants like that, different things it's still work in progress. It's we're not stationary. It's work in progress, and people like Danielle have got a massive amount of information they can throw into the pool that we're all looking for. Like uh, Ray's looking for it. I'm looking for it. Um, how much can we reduce when we got a crop of X? You know, like thirty-six ton per hectare of biomass out of a multi-species. How much? And those multi-species are very hard to biomass sample because they've all terminated at different times. Like, they'll start seeding some at four weeks and there's stuff at three months and it's still growing and hasn't seeded. And So estimating nutrient, potential nutrient supply. Yeah, I mean, we tried looking at the Haney test too. I mean, we threw the Haney, you know, we, yeah. 
the guys are trying all different ways to try and work this out, but it's going to take time. Yes, very hard. 14 years, two cycles. And if you take a soil sample, that only gives you a picture of how much N at that time. It doesn't give you a picture of what's yeah, going to be available. The 10 million bacteria that are actually doing the job. That's correct. In equilibrium and nitrogen in there, which the DNA tests has potential to help us with, but it's an early... Yeah. early technology still so, so that's something we have to yeah. we're all in the pool trying to yeah. work out and I, I think that's a long way down the road but we'll get there yeah and dna will change it is changing the game yeah, yeah. so and the guys game changer yeah, yeah. Mm. but it's still yeah still uh, the r and is ahead of us i guess yeah. back yeah. But, we're, even but we're driving the r and you guys are yeah. driving the r and you are because that's exactly what you're seeing in your soil you've got good aggregation and you know that there's high labile carbon there, but your carbon percentage probably isn't reflecting that yes. in the soil test. But so the, the there's a change in up. the functioning of that carbon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Going from quinoa, low GI, paleo stuff to spring rolls with chilli sauce, like it's a lot more lively. In the bistro. Homemade chilli sauce. It's just changed the way the bistro is functioning. You know, mm. Same amount of food going out, but yeah, the party's changing a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's got out of their seat and they're starting to different things yeah wow well i'm very excited about the next two days at the regenerative tank farm forum and all the things we're going to learn um i think this has been a great catch-up there's going to be a few more little interviews along the way so look out for them um, but thank you everyone i think this has been a great conversation and i hope people get lots from it please follow the biological farming roundtable podcast share it with your friends and networks i'm nicola maddick and i work at nutrisoil a liquid biological fertiliser made from a big worm farm whose purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food.